Good morning again, everyone. Good to see you all. Uh, It's good to be back. As you've heard, we've been on uh, vacation the last few weeks, so good to be back uh, with our ICP family and worshiping together with you all. And thank you uh, for your prayers while we were gone. And we're continuing this morning. Also, sorry, thanks to Ken and Preston for filling the pulpit the last couple weeks. I know you all were uh, blessed uh, through their preaching over the last couple weeks. I'm grateful to have elders who can fill in uh, when the pastor's out of town. So um, we're going to continue this morning in our series on the... um, Life of David, and we've been preaching through First and Second Samuel. And if you've been coming this summer, you know that. Uh, before we go back to the events of the life of David in Second Samuel, uh, we're going to con- uh, take another break this morning and look at one of David's psalms. We're going to be looking at Psalm one hundred and three. So that's our passage for today. If you'd like to follow along, you can turn there in your own Bibles or uh, on your devices. We'll also have it up on the slides behind me as we read it. Let's pray before we look to the word of the Lord this morning. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for calling us together into your presence this morning to worship you and to praise you, Lord, to fellowship with one another and to hear your word proclaimed. And we ask this morning, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, that your word would go forth in power into each one of our lives and hearts Lord, that you would would use your word to change us and to form us more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. So bless to us now this reading of your holy word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So as we said, uh, we've been spending this summer preaching through First and Second Samuel, looking at the life of David and this young shepherd who was chosen by God to be the king of Israel. And God chose him, as we've seen, because of his heart, because of David's heart. When God told the prophet Samuel to anoint David as king, he said, God doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's been our theme as we've gone through First and Second Samuel, that the Lord looks at the heart. And before we return to Second Samuel and to the narrative of David's life, it seemed good to, to look at one of David's psalms. It's always good for us to spend some time with the psalms because there is so much in them for us. And ultimately, what the psalms do is to teach us how to pray. They show us how to faithfully express the, the fullness of our human experience to God. All of the joys and all of the pains, all of, of the angers and sorrows, all of it can be brought before God in prayer. And the Psalms teach us how to do that well. If you want greater depth and vitality in your prayer and devotional life, friends, then let the Psalms be your guide. If you want to know how to pray better, spend more time in the Psalms. Here's what a few uh, trusted pastors and theologians have to say about the Psalms, commending them to us. Eugene Peterson, I have to get my my Eugene Peterson quote in uh, during this series, but he says this, he says, uh, he talks about learning to pray like being, uh, as being like learning a new language, something that many of us in here have had to do before at some time in our lives. And he says, learning to pray is like learning a new language. And he says, the Psalms show us how to use our words and how to form our sentences. They teach us the language of prayer, how to speak to God. C.S. Lewis, someone who reflected a lot on joy, said this about the Psalms. He says, the Psalms help us to express our delight in the Lord, the joy that we feel towards God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the German pastor and theologian, he points out that as a Jewish man in the first century, Jesus would have used the Psalms as his own prayer book. And so when we pray the Psalms, we are praying the very prayers that Jesus himself prayed. We are joining our voice with the voice of Christ himself as we worship our Heavenly Father. And I really like what John Webster, British theologian, has to say about this. It's a little bit longer, but worth hearing. Here's what he has to say. The Psalms are an incomparable treasure. They are one of the most powerful instruments through which God shapes our unruly minds and affections. In a unique way, the Psalms school us in the life of faith. Here in the Psalms, there is laid out before us a sort of spiritual anatomy of the people of God, what gives them joy, what causes them to stumble in sin, what makes them suffer, and what makes them praise God in the midst of suffering. And above all, what kind of God is present with them and sustains them in the life of faith with mercy and correction? Webster goes on to to quote John Calvin, saying that Calvin says this in his commentary on the Psalms, What various and beautiful jewels are contained in this treasury, it were hard to find words to describe. I call this book the anatomy of all of the parts of the soul, for not an affection will man find in himself, an image of which is not reflected in this mirror. Nay, all the griefs, sorrows, fears, misgivings, hopes, cares, anxieties... 
In short, all of the troublesome emotions with which the minds of men are often agitated, the Holy Spirit has here pictured to their life, or to the life. Webster goes on to say, It's my experience that those words of Calvin ring true, and I've become more and more persuaded that there is no better way of deepening our knowledge of the spiritual life than pondering the Psalms day by day, year by year, until they become part of us. Listen hard, and the Psalms will take up residence in you and become this very stuff of your lives. So all of this gives us good reason to look at the Psalms, to consider them, and even more so as we consider David's life. As we follow David's life so far this summer, from from shepherd to national hero to a fugitive from justice and finally to king, we haven't spent much time on David as a musician. And yet this is a big part of who he is. In his first encounters with King Saul, David was playing music for him to soothe his troubled mind. Saul would summon him and he would come and he would play music for the king. And so if we want to have a deeper knowledge and understanding of David's heart for the Lord, it's important for us to look at the songs and the poems that he wrote to see how he expressed himself to God. They give us a glimpse of how David sees God and how he sees himself in relation to God. So with all of that in mind, we come to Psalm 103, our passage for today. And I want to ask you all to to do something for me before we really get into Psalm 103. I want you to take a second, and I want you to imagine the biggest number that you can think of. Take a minute and imagine the biggest number you can think of, okay? Everybody got it? Ken, you're you're a mathematician. I know you've got one, Okay. How many of you thought of the number infinity? Did anybody come up with infinity? Okay, we've got a few. (laughs) We got a few things. Ken is protesting already. All right. Uh, A few years ago, infinity was a concept that we were playing around with in our house a little bit, Uh, and and it's like it's the biggest number possible. If if you asked a child how many presents do you want for your birthday this year, they would say infinity presents. That's how many presents I want. Maybe adults, you feel the same way. Now, we all know that this is a little bit misleading, Ken, okay? Because infinity really isn't the biggest number possible because that's infinity plus one. Or is it infinity plus two? Infinity plus infinity. There is no number larger than that, right? It it reminds me of a movie from many years ago. Maybe you all have seen it, a movie called Toy Story, the first Pixar movie in the mid-90s, and the two main characters are Woody the Cowboy and Buzz Lightyear, right? Space Explorer, Space Ranger. And Buzz had this great catchphrase. You all may remember it. He would say, to infinity and beyond. Yes, you all know it. That's right, to infinity and beyond. It's perfect. It is perfect for this psalm. Imagine traveling to the farthest reaches of outer space and then go a little bit further. That's where Buzz Lightyear goes, to infinity and beyond. So whatever you imagine when you hear these phrases, infinity plus infinity or to infinity and beyond, I want you to hold on to that as we look at Psalm 103 this morning. Because this is what David wants us to have in our minds as we read these words, as we try to get a a handle on these images, this concept, and it's woven through this psalm, this idea of infinity, 
to infinity and beyond. The first thing you notice when we get to Psalm 103 is that it is a joyful psalm. This is David writing here. And as we've seen already, David is a a man who experienced emotions deeply. There is nothing stoic about King David. And you can almost feel his joy coming off of the page even as we start the psalm. He is exuberant. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He begins and ends the psalm with this statement, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Some translations say, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And it's the same idea, but I like the word bless here. It's a little bit of a different angle, and it tells us something about David's heart for God. Because David desires to bless God, to bring God joy and delight in some way. Now, most often when we think of blessing, we we think of the good things that God does for us as his people, the good things that God gives us. We pray for God's blessing on us, and God has blessed us. And so it's right for us to think of blessing this way as something that God gives to people, to human beings. And certainly, whatever ways that we might bless God are not on the same level that God blesses us. And yet there's a recognition here in what David's saying that as God's people, we can and do bring him joy. That God delights in our love and affection for him. God delights in our praise and worship of him. God delights in our obedience to him. These are ways that we bless God. David talks about this in Psalm 19 in another way. He says, may the words of my mouth And the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, my God, my rock and my redeemer. So David's desire is to bring God joy. He wants to bless God in the same way that God has blessed him and brought him joy first. And so we see here David is blessing God with everything he's got, his entire being. All that is within me, bless his holy name. If you remember the last time we saw David in, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6 or 7, I can't remember the last passage we looked at, but David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. The Ark of the Covenant had just been brought back into Jerusalem and David was celebrating and he was leading all of Israel in their worship of God. And he was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And here we see the same emotion, the same expression of David, but expressed in words instead of in dancing. In fact, C.S. Lewis, when he talks about the Psalms and the way that they help us express our delight in the Lord, he uses that as his example. He says, the Psalms give me the same thing that David had when he was dancing before the Lord. It's that kind of joy. David is using everything he has to praise God to worship him, to give him thanks. It reminds me of the prayer that a lot of churches use uh, in their worship, oftentimes at the offering, when they say, all that we have, all that we are, all that we hope to be, we give all to you, O Lord. And this is the same idea as David's prayer here. He is offering himself entirely and completely to God, praising him and blessing him. And not only is this a joyful psalm, this is an incredibly personal psalm. It's a testimonial psalm. David is talking about what God has done in his life. He says, praise the Lord or bless the Lord my soul and forget not all of his benefits. 
David can look back over his life and remember all of the good things that God has done for him, all of the ways that God has blessed him. And so he wants to bless God in return. And he lists some of those things here. He recounts some of them. It says, uh, who forgives all of your sins, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. These are all things that David has experienced in his life, and he does not want to forget them. And so all of this leads to David's overwhelming expression of joy in this psalm. So much so that by the end of the psalm, it's gone from being personal to evangelistic. David can't help but keep it to himself anymore. It's an evangelistic psalm because David wants to take the good news of what God has done in his life and to share it with other people. And he shares it with all of creation, calling them to bless God as well. He says, bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. His joy is spilling out from himself to everyone that he comes into contact with. And so much so that he writes this psalm to share it with everyone, even now, thousands of years later. Because he remembers the goodness of the Lord. This is what David is so happy about. This is, this is why he's so excited. Why he is so full of joy. Because he remembers of the goodness of the Lord. He has not forgotten all of the benefits that God has given to him. And as we continue to read through this psalm, there are two main themes that sort of come to the surface and they're connected to each other. But these are the source of David's joy. They are the cause of his celebration. And these two things are the forgiveness of his sins and God's steadfast love. This is what's bringing David so much joy here. The forgiveness of his sins and God's steadfast love. About these two truths, David has no question in his mind. Have his sins been forgiven? Yes. Is God's love for him assured? Yes. But David doesn't want to just leave it there. He wants to make sure that we understand the extent of God's forgiveness and of God's steadfast love. And so he uses imagery to help us understand what he's getting at. We look at verses 11 and 12, and he says this, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Friends, how high are the heavens above the earth? (laughs) Can you put a number on it? Can you measure it? Of course not. Of course not. That's how much God loves you. How far is the east from the west? Have any of you been able to go from the east to the west all the way? Of course not. It's immeasurable. That is how far God has removed your sins from you in Jesus Christ. How great are God's steadfast love and forgiveness? They are to infinity and beyond. Amen. Amen. We could stop there, but we're going to go on a little bit further. So the forgiveness of sins. It won't take long for us to realize that when David celebrates the forgiveness of his sins, that he knows of what he speaks. David was no pillar of moral virtue. If you know his life, you know that this is true. And his life went down to the pit many times, both due to his own sin as well as the sins of others. And we've seen this already in his relationship with Saul, but we'll see it again in his relationship with Bathsheba, with his son Absalom. 
David wasn't just sort of the good church kid who can celebrate God's forgiveness because he didn't really have that much to be forgiven of in the first place. No, David's life needed redeeming over and over again. And David doesn't write these words because he doesn't take his sin seriously. It's not a sort of cheap grace that he's experiencing here. It's not that he doesn't feel the weight of it. It's interesting to to hold Psalm 103 in parallel to Psalm 51, David's confession uh, when he sinned with Bathsheba and committed adultery with her. It was David's response uh, to that and to his murderous cover-up. And there he says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. David, like us, was a hopeless sinner, a miserable sinner. And his sins were very public. If David was a political leader today, it would have caused great scandal. All of the things he did with his life, there would be attempts to get him out of office, to remove him from power. That actually was the case in his own day and time, that it created great scandal in Israel, and people were trying to get him out of power, to take over as king. But yet, David is also described as being a man after God's own heart. How does that work? To be so sinful and yet to also be a person after God's own heart. And at least one of the reasons is because David didn't put his trust and hope in himself or in his own righteousness, but in God's steadfast love for him and in God's mercy and compassion. David felt the burden of his sin and he saw its consequences play out in his life and the consequences were great and they continued for his entire life. And yet that sin that was ever before him, he had full confidence that God had the desire and the ability to remove it from him as far as the east is from the west. Now this isn't to say that God doesn't care about our sin or that he isn't angered by it. But as David says in verse 9, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not repay us according to our iniquities or deal with us according to our sins. And thanks be to God for that. David was so joyful because he knew how much he had been forgiven. And this is where we see not just David's heart for God in this psalm, but we also see God's fatherly heart for his people. That's the more important piece of what we see in Psalm 103. What this psalm tells us is that our God is a God who wants good things for us, a God who wants to bless us, a God who wants to free us from our sin, to remove it from us completely. And this is really important for us to remember, that God's desire is not for us to remain in our sin, and God does not relish the consequences that come from it for us. Be sure sin has its consequences But this is exactly what God wants to redeem us from. These pits of sin that we keep digging for ourselves when we return to it time and time again. The dominant image that this psalm gives us of God, the one that David sees, is a God who is forgiving and understanding. David uses God's description of himself, the one that he gave to Moses in the Exodus, as merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I love that description or that word, that adjective for love, steadfast. It's it's strong. It's firm. It's unchangeable. It's it's immovable. 
This is what God's love for us is like. And David goes on to say that as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Friends, God knows who we are. He knows our weakness. He knows our frailty. He knows our our bent to sinning. And yet God bears with us as a loving father bears with a child. God is compassionate with us. He is forgiving of us. His anger does not last forever. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. This is what David believed about God, that his love and forgiveness for us are infinite. The question that this psalm begs of us comes from what it tells us about David. What do we believe about God? And what do we believe about ourselves in light of God? This is what this psalm tells us. David tells us what he believes about God, what he believes about himself in light of God. And the same questions come to us. What do you believe about God? And what do you believe about yourself in light of what you believe about God? I wonder how many of us often see God as a disapproving father rather than a compassionate one, a parent for whom we're always falling just a little bit short, for whom we can never quite live up to the expectations, a God who is always somewhat disappointed in us. Is God always holding our failures in front of us, withholding his compassion and forgiveness and his pleasure and delight in us until we get our acts cleaned up? until we get our lives together, until we achieve perfection? Is that when God starts to share his steadfast love with us? If this is our view of God, then we'll never be free from the burden of our sin. It will truly be ever before us. And we will never know the freedom and joy and peace that God intends for us, the fullness of life that God intends for us. But in Psalm 103, David paints a very different picture of God for us than this, an accurate picture of God, the one that he has revealed to us about himself. And this God is a compassionate, loving father who is pleased for us, who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies us and our desires with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagle's. Tom Smale, uh, another British uh, pastor and theologian, said this. He wrote a book called The Forgotten Father. And he reflects on how important our view of God is in regards to how we see and understand ourselves. And he says this. Knowledge of God's fatherhood implies knowledge of our own sonship. And when we become confident about who God is, we also become confident about who we are. Far more ultimately significant than the content of our subconscious or the influence of our inheritance or environment is the fact that in Christ, God has made himself our father and us his children. For that to come home in the power of the spirit is one of the most healing things that can ever happen to us. Friends, wherever your relationship with the Lord is today, know that the God that we are here to worship is the one presented to us in Psalm 103, the one that David knew and wanted to bless, and who is the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he sent his Son into the world to lay down his own life in order to remove our sin from us, 
in order to redeem us from the pit of death. And he took that sin, our sin, and he put it on himself. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 6. He says, the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. And now we are also to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. This Jesus calls us to repentance, to turn away from our sin and to find life in him. This is why he laid down his life for us. So friends, I leave you with this today. How far have our sins been removed from us? As far as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west. How great is God's steadfast love for us. It is from everlasting to everlasting. They are boundless, immeasurable, infinite, to infinity and beyond. This is how much God loves us. And so we can say with David and all of God's creation and all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, our our Heavenly Father, it is our great desire that our lives would be a blessing to you. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for your steadfast love for us. We thank you that as a father has compassion on his children, so you have had compassion on us. We thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy. God, I pray that we would, each one of us, know you as our heavenly father and ourselves as your beloved children and that we might live out of that love. Lord, help us continually to repent, to turn away from our sin and back to you and to know that we have life in you through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name and for his sake. Amen.